0: to Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. As always, I'm extremely excited, humbled, honored, and grateful that we have with us today, of course, Brandon from Expanding Reality. And we're going to be touching upon some of the thoughts and ideological trains of thoughts and paths that we were discussing last week, but we're also going to be looking at uh, a couple different uh, new documents as well uh, pertaining to the whole DIA um, ATIP uh, archive, which is uh, going to be Biosensors and Biomems, a survey of the present field in addition to cognitive limits on simultaneous control of multiple unmanned spacecraft now before we jump into that how you doing today brother thank you so very much for joining us and the floor is yours
1: oh hell yeah dude thank you so much for having me of course i mean this is just such a cool thing that you and i are doing and i'm truly grateful man uh so dude it's good to see you um this is crazy like these papers that you've pulled up and that we've decided to talk about today are absolutely fascinating now, one of the more interesting one is this biosensors, um, the you know biomemes and biosensors. Now, on page seven of that document, <clears throat> excuse me, there is uh, some information there that says, um, recent biomemes have become something of a misnomer as the latest technologies are being designed and developed based on nanoscale technologies, which are many times smaller than microscale. And so the two delineations here is what's very interesting on this. So while current devices are manufactured mostly on the micro scale, many of the functioning parts and materials they use are operated on the nanoscale level. So what they're doing is they're operating these machines that operate within this system and but with much, much, much smaller components. Everything that we're seeing with this stuff is scaling down. You know, everything is getting smaller and we've seen this with our technology. You go from you know, the room-sized computers that they had, down to what we have now. And now the biggest challenge that we face as humanity with our technology being so small and great is the way that we interface with it. This is the most interesting takeaway that I get from this document. The, one of the most interesting things about this is, is like I said, uh, whenever you scale these things down so damn much is that you know we can create an entire computer can fit in the tiniest little chip and now we're seeing with this technology it can fit in the grain size of something the grain of rice and do the same thing that's on your phone like crazy technologies the reason that they're so large uh, and haven't gone to the full nano scale yet is because they're working on the way that we interface with them so again you look at your computer It's a small, tiny little thing in there that runs everything. The reason it's so big is because of the screen that you need to see it on, and because of the buttons all laid out so that your hands can type it. This is the reason these devices are so large, but with this paper, what I'm seeing with this, and then with the ideas of um, Musk with his Neuralink, and I've got a bunch of thoughts on that, um, all of these things are to scale down and then interface with you in a way that it supplements the interface uh, problem that we have really as human beings with things being so large. And that's the thing, right? It's, oh, where's my phone? Where's my phone? You know, everyone's wanting to keep up with this thing. Well, one of the my thoughts on this is they'll, you know, push this in a way they're, where they're going to say, hey, are you tired of, like, losing your phone? And, you know, there'll be those funny one um, of those infomercials where it goes black and white and somebody's dropping their phone in the water and stuff like that and they're like womp womp. And so they'll say, hey, just try this Neuralink or this little chip and we can just put it in your hand or your arm or your head or something and then you bypass all of that. You'll never lose it again, right? And this seems like an awesome thing to connect us all and people are just gonna clamor for it just like everything else, but there's a lot of danger in this technology. And yep. it's something I've been thinking about the whole time reading this stuff. But What are your thoughts, man?
0: Well, first off, let me just say absolutely incredible breakdown of all of this. Like we see even over here, bionics and neuro interfaces. And we see the way in which this can, you know, things can literally plug into the brain metaphorically and literally. Now, this is what, again, I want to be very clear. This is what many could or would probably want to call dual use systems, if you will, meaning that it could be used for both. Good or nor or bad, depending on the perspective in which one takes now what's interesting here, and I don't mean to delve too deeply without sort of leading everyone to it um in this regard, but we find, for example, that this is a scanning electron micrograph of an eleven forty one electrode array made to be inserted into the surface of the human brain. What I can't help but think as well is again notice the 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 you know the shape of you know the the um the way in which the different platonic solids seem to constantly be reminiscent almost as if even if you didn't want to make some type of nano sensor or biosensor it still needs in any type of shape deliberately it still needs to abide by a particular geometrical set of even like if we sat down as scientists you and i Brandon, and said okay we want to make some nanotech or something of the sort we don't care what shape it is it's just let's just make it i know that's a terrible way to start but the let's just say we did that We would end up making either a triangle, uh, one of the platonic solids that seems to be reminiscent of what we may be uh, experiencing at the moment. And I I don't want to fear monger to be very clear. But one thing that I find quite peculiar is that when we take a look at how the, according to a a paper done by Charles Lieber, and I'm just going to stop sharing the screen for now, what we'll find is that the more comfortable appearing the nano sensors appeared to the organic cells of the body. The more um, welcoming the cells were to those net na- to the nanotech, creating an electrical impulse into the capillaries. The more comfortable, sort of like again, just like a paranormal events. When the more um, a a a ghost that, or a, a plasma entity, whatever you want to call it, is trying to deceive you to pretend to be reminiscent of that of a deceased loved one of yours you are more inclined to allow them into your property in that regard so I again for better or worse is not for me to say but this then speaks to me personally about this concept of randomness versus non determinism and I I don't want to be jumping too much all over the place but what I mean by this is that say for example you are a human being tricked by a poltergeist if you will or a spirit an entity plasmid being whatever you want to call it, that you allow it into your house as they say the the whole you know I do believe there is something to the whole you know you can only let vampires in if if you if you're inviting them in using your intent that speaks to again intent and all of that but and manifestation but the idea that if you are being deceived and or tricked How can you figure out if you are being deceived or tricked? Well, to me, it's the concept of leaning into oneself in an organic, natural sense, meditation, prayer, being able to do that in, dare I say, real time. So you can figure out, do I trust this person? Do I trust this physical being? Do I trust this ghost, the spirit, if you will? Do I trust it actually being, you know, uh, the deceased member of the family that it's telling me in my head or through a Ouija board that it is? Or is it BSing me, right? And so the thing that I find very interesting about this is it speaks to something that Roger Penrose and Jordan Peterson discussed about a month back um, on Jordan Peterson's channel, which was that Roger Penrose has postulated that consciousness is not AI in the sense that we think of it so as to speak to Professor Nicholas Jissen's thick time. And what do I mean by that? So basically, if I um, actually, you know what, let's do you let's do the sketchboard. <laughs> let's let's bring the sketchboard. I know everyone likes for it. Yeah, I know everybody likes the sketchboard. So let's let's do the sketchboard. Um, okay, so if let's do a new thing here, let's say, for example, we'll go here and full screen and boom, okay. So let's say here we have the this just to very um, just to very quickly describe to everybody the things that you and I have been exploring, Brandon. The concept of thick time and indeterminism or non-determinism. So let's think of it like this: as many on the on the members side already know that we've discussed uh, even on Brandon's side too, the concept of randomness versus non-determinism in the sense that if I say it's going to rain tomorrow, it's either going to be right or wrong now what if there's a third variable the third variable is that it hasn't been decided yet and now the question becomes okay who's deciding that or what have you but before we we step into that that angle that that path there to me it speaks to are there a set of possibilities or outcomes that are already set and it's just a matter of literally one of those outcomes occurring if it's gonna rain tomorrow or not or is it that there is no set Options yet. It's truly unknowable and that's what Sir Roger Penrose was trying to explain to Jordan Peterson and Jordan Peterson uh, Understandably was having a difficult time grasping it because I think he was associating too much of the material world uh, With with their with their conversation and Jordan Peterson basically said uh, Sir Penrose, okay What are you truly trying to get at and I really liked what mr Penrose said he goes what I'm trying to get at is I don't know what it is, but it's not AI it's not a computer based system if that makes sense and what i'll be honest what fe- what fears me it what scares me is the what we just went through being used for a very um personal gain negative intent based setting and that's what what scares me now cuz cuz the whole thing is actually before we do the whiteboard is when you have like klaus schwab saying at the wef you know a, a couple weeks back if, you know, in the next five years, everybody's going to be able to have a chip, and you know, I can. We can all read each other's mind. You know, the, that whatever he says there, we can already do it. So why do we need the chips to be inserted? Thank I you. think it's because they can't. Because if we do it organically, and they tell us how, not that we need them to tell us, but if they sort of tell, if they were to say we've been duping you for decades, and this is what's going on, they won't be able to control us if if they do it organically, if we That's do it organically. So I think. Word right the implant right the implantables based on what you just went through in the document there and described so beautifully is to not particularly dare I say quote-unquote remove the soul but to do their best to make us forget that we have it so that you see what I'm saying and it gives the illusion of being of of freedom and I want to very quickly read a quote that I just put on the um the, the Telegram uh, gr- uh, group chat here of, by Aldous Huxley. The surest way to work up a crusade in favor of some good cause is to promise people that they will have a chance of maltreating someone, to be able to destroy with good conscience. This is the height of psychological luxury, the most delicious of moral treats to be able to destroy with good conscience. And what I, without talking to like, kinetic war sense-based, even if we look at ourselves, using the implantables to destroy, in, but we don't think it's destroying our inner organic soul, plasma, you know, plasma source, zero-point source, Christ consciousness, chi, prana, you name it. It's we think the implantables are good. And again, I'm not saying that they're... I'm sure they could be used for the sake of trying to assist certain physical reparations, like if someone is sick temporarily. But to say that, you know, for me personally, um, it's just my personal opinion to say that I would want a chip to be in me and then say, you know, kind of like a car every two to five years, have it replaced. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest fan of that, which, yeah, if you want to jump in before I get to the, the sketchboard
1: Dude, there's so much that you're saying here that I'd like to talk to you. Uh, Please, please. uh, So one of the best things that you just said there, uh, the Aldous Huxley quote, one of the things I was thinking about as well when we're, you know, trying to determine if it's natural, if it's a simulation, if it's any of that stuff at a level. And I've said this for a while now, but at a level, spirituality and science with the simulation theory are kind of meeting, you know, at the top with this unity consciousness idea. Because an architect of the simulation and an architect of an organic simulation, like a god, would be imperceivable at a certain level from our perspective. So even if it is technological, um, which I'm not sold on that it is, but you know who knows? We can't determine that because it's it's undetermined. It's an indeterministic factor for us. But they do have some similar qualities. Now, something also that you said real quick that I want to pull up, uh, and just something I kind of want to note as well is that with the whole. Um, uh, wishing someone else ill and all of that that's such a low base like that quote speaks to the narrative of what these transhuman Klaus Anoschwab Schwab people want to do with this stuff and that is that they perturb the natural order of things to institute their own control mechanism in a way that mimics what life kind of wants to do but it goes completely against natural law you said it well with the. Um, the collective consciousness, uh, ether, prana, and that we can already do it naturally. Um, There's an, you know, and Mark Gober said this in our live last night, there's a natural evolutionary process, which may explain why we haven't had the mass contact that we all want, uh, and why you know these things haven't been fully developed in us, even though there's scientific evidence that proves with the intention studies, with remote viewing, I mean countless examples of ways in which this mysterious force that we just it's a science we don't understand yet and you and I've talked about this. Uh, that is the driving force for the mystery, but it's being pushed. Evolution of humanity naturally is being pushed forward with this technology. And to the other bit of this, man, you you pop this chip in here, um, and it's it's over for that element, I think. you know, it, and It could possibly be you just saying, okay, well, I'm done with this side, and this could be this 3D, 5D split. I mean, there's, again, so many things to unpack with what you just said. But what I also want to say uh, is direct you to this. Um, let me screen share this real quick. There you go. Uh, if you could see this on the screen here, see the nanotubules? these are how they're slipping this um, graphene technology and the poke pokes and all that kind of stuff into our systems because this structure uh it's not only the strongest one found in nature but also it is a way to slip it past this is this is what the nanotubules are uh, prouded on and this is why they exist in the first place is because they sneak past your defense systems like a trojan horse and so these shapes here mimic the exact thing like what you just talked about with the the octagon there right. so um, same thing it's it's slipped in past your defenses so that's very very interesting man but I love what you said about the hijacking and I've got so many things to say about what you said about the mimicry thing but please continue
0: on okay so let me show here one thing before we get to the sketchboard the what I want to point out here is micro cantilever uh, mems sensors and we see here that they the micro cantilever or micro Cantilever based sensors fall into two categories static sensors and vibrational sensors static sensing microcantilevers are usually covered with a gold film which is then coated with a substance having a specific affinity upon binding the specific analyte such as a protein stress is generated resulting in bending of the microcantilever now this is what's equally as interesting the deflection is often measured using a narrow light beam from a small laser Light reflected off the bottom of the cantilever falls onto a surface where a position-sensitive detector, PSD, can determine how much the beam bends. Kind of like the exploration of ideas we've been considering that we may be confined to relative to what we're living in, or under, within, you name it, within the the confinement of a particular light spectrum. Now, what's interesting here is that... What we'll find is if we head back here to uh, the gold, usually covered with a gold film. I can't help but speaking to what you want to discuss as well, brother, about the appearing to look organic and the more comfortably appearing the nanotech is to the organic cells, the more welcoming it's going to be. Well, if we consider the, the alleged possibility that we don't have two strands of DNA, but rather we have three, and that third one is covered in a little bit of uh, a couple different... Um, uh, excuse me uh metals gold um you know aluminum a couple different kinds that would certainly and for those that say dave where's the um you know where's the third strand it's the cent- it's the one down the center that's considered junk dna that could be potentially non-local in addition to extremely small at the nanoscale almost as if this could these devices are being designed to to be deployed to uh, um dare i say penetrate or attack the junk dna the third strand specifically to mimic it in a way that confines the light spectrum over top of it so that we forget that we have it within us to do what this thing is telling us we need externally to receive and so to me overall this speaks to again the gold uh within the dna the again not saying i have the answers but pertaining to the gold of Anunnaki, that you know all of this uh, there's something there pertaining specifically to gold and the way in which the deflection and bending of the light waves here at a nano level speaks to me personally as something that could absolutely be scaled up why it can't be i don't know i mean why people what i mean is why those that i'm not saying they need to agree with us but just be open to the possibility it could be possible is all i'm saying you know i could be very wrong but the point is is that it's not about who's right or wrong it's about the collective working together and then, you know, starting the conversation to realize that we don't, in my opinion, uh, particularly, dare I say, need the, the hardware because we can do it organically. If you want to jump in, before, and then we'll get to yeah. the whiteboard, I promise. <laughs>
1: I, I love your, and I like the teasing of the whiteboard. This is great. It's good foreplay. Uh, you know, and it's this uh, hijacking and sneaking in and all of this stuff. We, again, talked about this on the live last night, about this, why the UFO phenomena, uh, the topic was on contact. And so we talked about why, you know, it appears in so many different ways to so many different people. And it's, you know, uh, like a uh, mesmerization. What do they call that? Yeah, you're like mesmerized. You're like uh, mystiqued. Um All of that stuff and so it's a technology you know is what the idea is and it's a it's a defense mechanism actually it's a camouflage defense mechanism uh in paul they kind of you know that movie paul um they kind of hint on this when he holds his breath he turns completely invisible to our eyes and then also they appear different because it's pleasing to you it draws you in you'll accept the program of what your eyes are seeing and what your mind is attempting to wrap its mind around If they appear to you as a dead loved one, if they appear to you as an angel, if they appear to you as a gray, you know, something that you're like, okay, well, you know, if an angel pops up, you're not thinking that you're going for a ride on a spaceship. If a gray pops up, you're not thinking you're going to heaven. So there's like this specific way in which they appear to you that's conducive to what you think you should be seeing the uh, Bigfoot uh, poltergeist activity, the Fae, you know, things like this, they've appeared to different people in different ways so as to be more appealing and so that the person accepts the reality in which they're seeing, even though it's not the real reality, just like what we're talking about with this transhumanism type agenda. Also, this uh, type of mimicry is found in nature all over the place. Again, as above, so below, we have examples of this with the moths that have the uh, owl eyes on the wings, and it's just all the moths have them, and that's just what they do. But that owl that they're mimicking is a predator of the bird that's a predator for the moth. And so it just basically like represents for a bigger animal that the bird wants nothing to do with that would normally feed on that. Uh, you see this in plants all the time to draw their uh, pollinators in. They mimic it to, that there's they look like something different, you know, like the petals of the flower look like super attractive and you want to go there and so it hijacks your consciousness it invites you in but albeit a deceptive one and so this is what i think of whenever i see this nanoparticles and nanotubules and things that are sneaked in that mimic organic technologies but that need to be disingenuous for you to accept the program. And that is where I'm out. This is where I'm like, no, thank you.
0: To it, me, it nan- sorry, to nanotub- yeah. nanotubules are believable to the masses in a, in a biotech, in a nanotech sense. But for some reason, people bring up, you know, um, and this is no jab at anybody to be clear, but people bring up Sir Roger Penrose's microtubules, and all of a sudden it's total, they think it's nonsense, or many people say, you know, it's probably wrong. But then all of a sudden you have people like Dr. Pudoff saying, well, uh eh, i got some sympathy for going down that route so yep. it it then makes you think right it you know um, sorry, please, did you want to... I
1: was just going to say it's so interesting, too, that they find all these things on the smallest scale possible. Even with our hidden strand or our junk DNA, it's so small. Almost like we're not supposed to dick with it. You know, It's like like you said about the below the uh, delta brainwaves. It's you, you're not supposed to screw around in that arena, but they keep going smaller and smaller and smaller to unlock this thing. You know, the Higgs boson, the god particle. That was done by smashing particles together and finding these tiny little bits that said, yep, that's that's the thing. And then those particles just evaporate into another dimension, basically. And so they say this is where the evidence is, but they had to find it on a super small scale. So it's, again, also very interesting that we talk about going within. Uh, they're scaling things down so that they can hijack. But when we talk about going within, that's for clarity. And so if they can get you at the source, if they can get it at the closest thing to divinity or the lowest possible scale. Hijack it our it clarity. Translates. Exactly. Right. Hijack our clarity. I love I- that.
0: Actually I'm going to write that down quick. I might um, put that's that in the title of the episode. Yeah, hijacking our clarity. Yep, yep. Exactly. So as you were also explaining it so beautifully, I I was putting together the whiteboard here. So for those that that don't understand or don't see get what's going on, I'll explain all of it. So this goes back to randomness versus non-determinism. Sir Roger Penrose has proposed or postulated that uh, it's far more in my opinion than just a hypothesis at this point. Uh, something that uh, Mr. Nicholas, Professor Nicholas Jissen from the University of Geneva has spoken on, on Kurt Jai theory of everything regarding thick time um, and something called intuitionistic mathematics, you know, intuition and all of that, which is that it's again, th- to me, this, uh, what excites me is it speaks to Salvatore Pay's Again, telling Kurt jai on Theories of Everything, Kurt, none of this stuff is new physics. It is a new perspective on old physics. Same idea. And it, I think the same goes for this, which is that Mr. Nicholas Jissen has said that we need to revisit the, what we call classical mathematics. What do we mean by that? Well, when we think of numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, without even speaking it, and to those in the audience right now watching or listening, think of those numbers in your head right now. I'll give it a few seconds because I really want them to count one to five in your head. And so did that not just take time to think of? That's the whole point. So we have been, um, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but modern human society has looked over. Whether deliberately or otherwise for conspiratorial purposes is not for me to say, but have looked over the fact that when we think of numbers in classical mathematics, they don't just all appear like this circle here one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They don't appear at once. It takes time to think of one, two, three, four, five, which speaks to, again, this concept of what Einstein called spooky action at a distance, right? What this here is called quantum physics, when in reality we understand that we are living in a linear world, cause and effect, which speaks to, again, could we rearrange the numbers? Could we take number five and put it, you know, replace number two and put it there? So take five, put it here, take two and replace the four, you know, put the one over the five. So that speaks to rearranging the order of things. Now again does it not take time to rearrange the order of things so when mr um professor jissen speaks on thick time what he's essentially saying is it doesn't need to be one two three four five it could even be just think of the number two over and over again in your head thinking of it right now two to the power of zero because we just thought of it it started at that zero point ironically zero point energy two to the power of one this two over here everybody is thicker than the previous two, because it's taken time to densify the thought in which we are laying out in a linear sense, and so this now then this number two is thicker than this one, and so this speaks to Mister Tom Matt when he claims to see with his upside remote viewing, he claims to see time in a much more advanced format and way than the Cartesian plane. Because he sees that as he gets closer to the source of the light spectrum he's viewing, the um, the the lighter it gets. Literally, like he sort of like um like a bedsheet. Basically, it gets lighter as you take a, a thinner one and put it on top instead of a thicker one. And the more he backs up relative to that focal point, that that vortex or axiom from that the source of that light beam the more he backs up the thicker it gets which speaks to when in my opinion sal salvatore pays doctor Hal Pudoff, have said in in open lectures um and interviews you need al- although i will say not recently but y- you need to um you need to kind of go on the dark web to find those videos but it's out there and they've said you need to meet certain conditions of spin and charge and now again sir roger penrose won a nobel prize on spinners just a handful of years ago so we see what what's the purpose for spin well the faster something spins the faster it's gonna vibrate in my opinion right which then creates a wave if you will so let's open a new um let's open a new uh thing here and the the idea generally speaking is that let's open this blueprint here so the difference between randomness versus indeterminism to get back to, to that very quickly. And by the way, Brandon, did you want to jump in at all?
1: I was, uh, <clears throat> hang on. Uh, no, no I was, uh, excuse me. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, back to the thing you were just talking about. It's interesting that as you think of something, it gets thicker or more dense. Uh, the the thing that I'm thinking of, you know, is, is that this is the manifestation key. This is the tr- uh, like attracts, like you persistently think of something and then it thickens your, attraction of it. So it's kinda right. like a beacon. It like gets brighter and brighter the more you stack onto it. But this uh, related in the sense of time makes sense because you need time to focus on that thought for it to become something with legs and to become something kinetic. And this is interesting though, the thicker it gets, the more attractive it is. Meaning that the more you vibrate at a certain frequency, the more you look at a certain thing, the more you feel a certain way, it thickens the experience of you attracting that which is just something i was thinking of whenever you whenever you were going through that and it's brilliant again science and metaphysics are really meeting up here which i love that science is now just figuring out all the stuff that the mystics have been saying forever I love yeah. <laughs> it, yeah it's they it, can just articulate it now or they're getting better at articulating it right
0: exactly so the okay so what we see here is that Mr Penrose has postulated that randomness and I'll put R here for to label it ra- randomness is basically the outcome of a handful of already set in stone possibilities basically meaning that when an AI for example let's say over here let's do this AI let's just pretend that we're this side of the screen the excuse me the right hand side of the screen is the perspective of the AI of, of any type of artificial intelligence with a computer, quantum computer, you name it, doesn't matter. And this is what computer scientists are struggling with, that a lot of things that allegedly consciousness can do cannot be calculated on a computer, which speaks to a whole other conversation. But point being is that if AI is told, all right, you, you, know, you need to randomly pick an outcome, you need to tell it the handful of outcomes it can even pick from to begin with in order for it to choose it. So when it looks around and goes, okay, we're truly going to randomly pick something here, whether A, B, C, D, or E, and I put each different letter in different colors to help visualize it, it's going to be one of the five letters that it's going to pick. I'll bite randomly, but it'll be one of the five. This is what Mr. Roger Penrose speaks of when he talks about randomness. When he speaks, and when him and Nicholas Justin speak on indeterminism or non-determinism, there's this idea that... Not only could A, B, C, D, and E be selected by a particular outcome, but it hasn't even, A, B, C, D, and E hasn't even been preset to our consciousness yet, to our collective consciousness, if that makes sense. There's no, and and the reason I draw this circle, I'll explain shortly, but it speaks to entropy and negentropy. However, what Mr. Penrose is saying ultimately is that When AI randomly picks something, again, you need to tell it beforehand the options it can pick from. Whereas indeterminism and non-determinism, it's truly not set. There's no set of outcomes even available yet because it hasn't happened. And so Jordan Peterson asked Mr. Penrose, where do you think the source of that is coming from? and that's when mr penrose said i don't know that's what i'm trying to tell people but i think a lot of people still have issue grasping this concept and then that's when jordan peterson uh, right before you step in brother started saying okay well does that mean that you know a b c and d we can we can take it and essentially you know throw it into a larger pot or soup maybe with a you know a b c d e f g all the way to z and have it just randomly scattered across a larger set of variance functions and outcomes and roger penrose goes no he goes you're just speaking about this but on a larger scale that's entropy that that's not at all he's saying he goes what i'm saying is it's not even coming from here it's like there's it which speaks to non-locality and you know point-to-point teleportation and luke montagnier's dna teleportation something is coming for it almost as if Everything and any possibility has already occurred, but it hasn't been inserted into our, quote unquote, reality. I'll put this in air quotes. It hasn't been inserted into our reality yet, but it's not coming from a preset uh, variable outcome uh, function. It's truly unknowable. So you want to jump in?
1: Dude, so this speaks in my mind to the scale of how things are created here. Let's say that you go with the model of uh, unity consciousness and that we're all one experiencing it subjectively and that we are powerful manifestors or creators here. This exact example of pulling something in that's not in our purview. One of the examples I'm thinking of is the contact phenomena. It's on my mind. Uh, how people can phase through walls and things like that. Well, that's not in our reality. That's being pulled from somewhere else, that idea. Uh, Also, this idea of faster-than-light space travel and teleportation and things that, again, some contactees have experienced, even in some psychedelic experiences, which is a whole nother thing. Uh, but this is what's so interesting about this is because what you're talking about, about non-determinism and that, you know, if time is, is only linear from, from our ex- experience, like we experience it that way, but that's not necessarily what's going on, that's just how we perceive and experience it. Then what's interesting about this is is that, in in my mind lately especially, I haven't been thinking of time as like, everything's already happened and it's just potentialities of which will happen. The indeterministic part of this is the things that we don't even know that we don't even know those being introduced into our psyche and now something that we can create or at least be mystified by I think this is what the whole phenomena is in general is it's something to push us outside of the bounds of the little pool in which we have to cognitively pull from. And so, this gives us an option of creating from something that's not in our experience here, but we can see it in an example of that it's possible because people report it all the time. So, this, in my mind, is a way to pull from this indeterministic and to create the indeterministic because, yes, lately, again, I've been thinking nothing happens until we decide it happens. So, therefore, you're influenced by a ton of stuff constantly. Now, they're kind of in the same matrix, let's say. You're presented with the same amount of. Things to choose from. There's a bajillion combinations of it, and it can go crazy. But when we're talking about this higher level stuff, to be able to do those types of things, and you see this in examples of people who channel, people who pass live memories, uh, the remote viewing phenomena, again, um, superpower kind of things. You know, these incredible feats that people are able to achieve. That's not pulled from our experience, but we know it's possible. So therefore, we can create it. It it speaks again to this point of pulling from this larger consciousness to physically express itself down here in some way but we're always being cognitively pushed to really challenge ourselves for what is even possible in our air quotes reality.
0: I couldn't I couldn't agree more and, and I really like what you said there brother nothing happens till we decide that it happens and that's actually that's a very good way of putting it now to a much larger picture what happens if there's an external force that we're not familiar with that is swaying us to make certain decisions that's a whole other that's you know the gnostic archon you know um Predictive perspective program. right what i
1: think predictive programming is all about i think the systems in place here are just here to manipulate us into options that we choose unconsciously but we don't have to that's not our only option it's again and i've said this with the Klaus channel schwab dude it's an option but you don't need to pick it it's like they're wanting you to create that and they're wanting everyone to say oh well i have no right to stand up against authority and most people feel this way and so i'm just going to go along with the programming this again, why TV programs are called programs. I mean, Operation Mockingbird, you know, they had this whole thing down. And back to the nanotubules real quick and the micro uh, bi and stuff like that. It seems like that externally we're over being lied to and that maybe this is what this great awakening is and people are right. really starting to figure out that the tactics and methods the technologies that they use as far as you know tones coming out of your TV as far as low vibe programming music hijacking from 432 to 440 like all of these analog ways of hijacking your consciousness don't work anymore and so they need to go smaller and hijack it in a, in a different way, which, again, shows us that something's possible but also isn't something that's inevitable. It's an option, but you don't have to choose it. You could say, hang on, that that's there. Okay, cool. And so it's like the game always gives you something to look forward to and create your own against. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Speaking, speaking of which, by the way, I want to share um, a photo here that's from mindbodyproblems.com, and I believe it was reena who sent this to me i'd like to thank reena for sending it because this speaks to exactly what you just said um Uh, Brandon. So we see here, after Merritt's death, Kaufman became intrigued by arguments of physicist Roger Penrose that consciousness cannot spring from purely deterministic processes in which causes have specific predictable effects. Penrose's reasoning was complex. It included an appeal to Godel's incompleteness theorem, which delineates the limits of rule-based systems such as those employed in conventional computers. Consciousness, Penrose concluded, must arise from probabilistic quantum effects. Kaufman began to suspect that quantum mechanics could account uh, for not only ordinary consciousness, but also telepathy. According to one interpretation of quantum theory, a particle such as an electron or photon exists in a blur... Of probable superposed states until it is observed, which speaks to again reality is only as real as the individual observing it. When it then snaps into a single state, which, in my opinion, before we go on, speaks to this right over here. Let me get the. Um, hold on a second. Let me here we are. Let me get the uh, the sketch pad up back up again, which speaks to again. It is only. Let me go right back here. This right over here. It is only because we're viewing time in a linear fashion, the second we think of, or you know, pick up a pen and then drop the pen, it goes from being in a cloud, as we would call an atom of possibilities, into all of a sudden delineating and becoming linear to our perception. Sort of like the way in which, you know, in in Call of Duty, wherever you look, the code is loading the environment up in a linear fashion, same way. So if we very quickly jump back to the, uh, the, the, the paragraph here... According to one interpretation uh, of quantum theory, a particle such as an electron or photon exists in a blur of probable, superposed states until it is observed when it snaps into a single state. Particles can also influence each other through entanglement, which is related to another effect called non-locality. Measure the spin of an electron in New York, and you instantly determine the spin of its entangled twin in Paris. Again, spin, spinners... And it's the fact that Mr. Penrose is a part of this. In the 1930s, Einstein described this hypothetical effect, which is not hypothetical, in my opinion, as spooky action at a distance. If quantum mechanics predicts this impossible effect, he argued, the theory must be flawed and in need of revision. Einstein turned out to be wrong. In the 1980s, laboratory experiments conclusively demonstrated non-locality. So, I mean... Yes,
1: they did. And... Uh, man, to jump in here, uh, something I'm thinking of this great uh, point on this. So thank you. Shout out uh, to who sent this. Uh, something I'm thinking about this is uh, non-locality also, whenever they talk about the spin, if you notice in that study, uh, they, talk, they didn't mention it there, but my memory from the study is that it spins in the opposite direction. And so what's interesting about this in my mind is what you're observing spins in a certain direction. Now, if we scale this up to real black and white concepts of duality, good and bad, okay, let's talk, it, let's talk to it and what serves you and what doesn't serve you. If you're constantly viewing in your environment and vibrating at the frequency to attract back to you, back to what we talked about earlier, then the frequency that you're viewing spins in a certain direction. Well, at some point, somewhere else, there's another experience happening with either another version of you, which, I mean, it could be a human here. It could be a person in Paris and a person in New York. Somebody having a great time, somebody not having a great time, and maybe you're quantumly entangled in this way, but the spins need to be opposite for, Duality to exist and duality is part of the structure of this place So you can think about when you change your vibe, okay? And I know this is reductive But when you change your vibe things in your reality appear differently to you You start attracting things that serve you rather than don't serve you You can think if I was an asshole if I stopped being an asshole I don't attract assholes anymore or situations even that would make me be an asshole and so with this uh, indeterministic thing what you can determine is it somewhere else not in your reality that the balance of dual this dualistic reality that we exist in and observe around us somewhere there's an equal and opposite reaction you know maybe this wasn't just for physics in the form of motion but also in the existence and state in resonance there's an equal and opposite reaction where there's hot you have to have hot to determine cold because this is different than that and so these things pop up in reality like this now also to this uh, I just keep coming back to the, the the frequency that you oscillate at is what you bring back to you. And this is a scientific way of articulating that, which is brilliant, because this gets down to the micro level. Again, at these quantum scales is where you can observe these things, and so therefore we just scale them up to our world with this as-above-so-below model, with this... Whatever's happening out there is happening on our scale, which is also happening on a miniature scale. There's examples of this everywhere. And so this idea and these, uh, uh, the you know, the quantum physics, the spooky action at a distance design sign call, that that is one of the most um, nail-in-the-coffin arguments for this perception that I've got, is that instantaneous communication. And so, therefore, again, this could go with, like, when you are playing a video game, back to what you said about Call of Duty, not only does it render in front of you like that, but your interface with the game, when you make a move here, non-locally to the character in the screen, which is in another dimension from your perspective, it moves exactly at the same time. When you shoot your gun here, you pull a trigger on this thing, it reacts over there. And so these concepts of just scalability are what are very interesting because that's an example of non-locality right there, just in a digital rendering of it.
0: I couldn't agree more. Speaking of which, if we take a look, for example, at this right over here, um, let's, you can see the screen, right? The object still oscillates sinusoidally, or sinusoidally, excuse me. Now, again, this speaks to, you know, the vacuum, the collapse, zero point energy, the collapsing of the wave, you name it. But what's interesting about all of this, however, is that I find that we see the reminiscent of, again, zero being at the center, the confinement of a compression state at the zero point. And honestly, what I find as well, too, is that this speaks to the linear line heading down of that gold strand that we are told, no, there's only two interlacing strands of our DNA. And of course, this speaks to, you know, traversable wormholes. This speaks to what the nano, the bio MEMs and biosensors need to project to our organic cells in order to appear more comfortable and this also speaks to again if you take a wire and touch it to a battery car it's gonna melt but if you put it in the shape of a coil and then you again speaking to that of I think whatever we are currently experiencing the reality we're living in and you then point it at another human but you as the human need to be holding the coil when you point it it makes them sick because you created a gravity wave, but you were the conductor. You were the middle third completion. Uh, um, ex- completed I guess icing on the cake if you will if you as a human took the coil and pointed it at your friend for example but you you put it on the coil on the table while it was pointing at your friend they may still feel sick but not nearly as nauseous not maybe not nothing whatsoever because it's missing the conductor which is us and I think again the concept of the nanotech it's great in the sense of repairing physical illnesses and things like this but I also think that it's not even necessarily, in my humble opinion, needed if these frequential uh, vibrational states and fields geomagnetically and entropically on on Earth, on the surface, were to be lifted or removed from us, if that makes sense. Now, what's interesting is that we see here, again, this is 2007, but the Pearson education, these are you know the Pearson textbooks that everybody learns in school and all that, but the amplitude decreases within the envelope of a decaying exponential, again, non-destructive self-employment, of charge collapse, which is that, you know, as many say that when you die, you have to learn how to die, if that makes sense. As you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bearden is, is Mr. Winter, as many people have said, because this speaks to, again, chaos, stress, anxiety being here. And as you implode in a positive sense, you need to let go of all of that and live in the moment, and the second you start thinking of any you know anxious um distractions, stressful thoughts, anything like this, it then immediately zips back out again, and that what that is what many can many argue causes you know ghosts uh plasmoid beings to constantly be in a state of traumatized um repetition, uh particularly you know yeah, sorry you want to jump in? I
1: was just going to say this is also what mediums do. They help people cross over. And how do they do that? With unfinished business. You know, this is kind of just the the narrative with that. And so they need to balance themselves or right some wrong here. Now, that's usually something that the ghost did that they feel bad about. Because your intent
0: is still focused on that event.
1: Exactly. So you can't cross over because you're energetically bound to that uh, event
0: via intent exactly yep. which speaks yep. to you know constantly advertisements all around us and all of that now let's let's also give a visual for everybody to sort of speak to something even to a much larger picture as well if we look for example at the scalar waves here right now what's interesting is that this speaks to zero point energy and Mr. Uh, Roger Penrose's spinners because to me personally what we find here is that let's say for example let's very quickly um let's redraw that very very quickly so we then have the center line going like this and then we have the waves being you know again the scalar waves and all of that and this is what many argue is the caduceus which is which is the the the, the wave mechanics are what we're living under or living in if you will the transition states because everything is constantly moving and so it's a it's a concept of constantly wanting to keep us in a sense of disarray relative to a limited set of options that the ai within us can out, uh, uh, provide as an outcome if we allow the implantables into our body and again I'm not trying to fearmonger, but just taking a, a just exploring a, a path here now let's take this one step further so we've now recreated what we're seeing here essentially let's take the color I don't know just for the sake of you know pointing this out let's take the color red let's say for example empty space is not really empty it's a vacuum right what you have as we've said before is let's see here the particle fluctuations and then the zero point energy vacuum that seems to be cycling in and out constantly that again uh james maxwell oliver Heaviside claimed could not uh, well certain uh, versions let's say of their interpreted equations after they passed away were reminiscent of that of well you know there's no potential uh, potential meaning no possibility of anything non-physical to the knowable material observable universe is is realistic but what we see here is the energies coming out of the vacuum into particle fluctuation that is again being observed via photons that enter our eyes and then cycle that back into the vacuum and to where it goes we don't know which speaks to empty space not being empty because if we head back to this right over here let's take a look at something let's now draw Sir Roger Penrose's spinners again it's the same thing if there's constant spin everywhere and nowhere simultaneously, by definition, empty space is not exactly empty, if that makes sense. But it could also be depending on the observable state in which one is viewing, meaning that if you're looking, say, at the corner of your bedroom and behind you, you're like, well, it's empty space. Depending how you look at it, it's maybe empty code that is waiting to be filled when, by, for when you look at it but i don't think it's empty space if that makes sense so again we draw these uh spinners in between the waves here and what we'll find is again let's this is what scientists have said for so long is empty space well hold on a second if we look at it like this is it really empty in this particular case there's red circles inside of what has been told you know coined as empty space where do the red circles lead well again i this speaks to the whole concept of us being organic stargates if our intent is focused enough on a particular state or you know physical uh you know uh environment if you will our intent let's let me actually just change the color very quickly our intent would be say this is us here coming from us our where we're viewing What would then happen is our intent through the phase conjugate wave mechanics is providing a change in what we call matter to the environment in which we're observing. So this could speak to things like spoon bending, but even that, I mean, that's peanuts compared to what we're allegedly able to do. So, yeah, that's basically the the idea. Now that speaks to, again, when we look somewhere, big picture, when we're looking, are we looking at a set of outcomes that we that have already been preset in in an AI sense that you know random outcomes? It's either going to be you know A, B, C or D, or the 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 goal here, uh, the idea to explore here is the question of is there something? I'm just drawing this metaphorically. Is there something outside of the reality we're in? that has not just ABCD, but A to Z, and then even more than that, that then goes, okay, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna let this particular event happen based on what is being viewed by you, if that makes sense.
1: 100% man, and you can think of this as well as this is where like ideas uh, for new things, innovation, right. stuff like that, it comes from the ether. You know, and even uh, Tesla described it as being downloaded. He's like, I'd, I'm a, just a receiver for this information. He at least had the awareness to, to call it that, rather than the hubris to say, nope, everything's fixed, everything's done. And, and I think about this quite a bit, man. Like, if you were to take a group of children, let's say, and you don't bind them to the same reality that we were all fed and the restrictions that we were all told, what could they create? You know, right. what would they experience? If you just told them, hey, anything's possible, what do you think? Well, then that's where the imagination goes. Because also, if you think about it, kids, We think of it that they can see things that we can't, but perhaps they create more unrestricted. And so let's say like those creepy kid videos of them standing, staring in a corner and talking to someone or imaginary friends and things like that. They kind of have an intuitive way of creating their reality and it's weird to them that you can't see it. And eventually kids just grow up thinking, oh, it's not real, it's imaginary friend. And they overhear their mom saying imaginary enough and then that thing goes away. It's, it's this idea that, you know, you're, you're born with a certain set of skills or whatever. Well, sorry,
0: to add to that very quickly, that speaks yeah. to the, the stigmata of society, which is that when people as an adult or as an older person trying to revisit what they, what they thought of as nonsense as a child is not necessarily nonsense but something legitimate, they try and look for guidance. And what, what is that usual guidance? Envision, imagine a white light, the toroid field. So again, I think what we see there through the PSYOP unfortunate stigmata campaign of it all is you're immediately using the same word you were told when you were younger. That's totally nonsense to now reapply that. So there's already that mental barrier put in front of you that one must overcome as well that I had to overcome and y- you name it because the same labeling of the word via the intent that it was attached to since you were young still is still in your subconscious.
1: Yeah. And think about your parents and how you were brought up thinking can't 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 no you can't fly no you can't see ghosts no you can't this can't that and you believe it on a subconscious level and this is what you go through with this shadow worker reprogramming or the neuro-linguistic programming uh at a level of healing you know and i know everybody's tired of that word i am too but what i mean <laughs> is is that basically what you're doing is you're on you're getting back to source you're getting back to your youngest state through right. your the vehicle of imagination and this is where true potentiality is when your government constantly tells you something is true or not and enough people believe it then that's what's created for us all to experience out here this is this co-collective creation type of a thing and this is why I think we're the powerful ones that manifest they're just really convincing they're the you know demons that whisper in your ear and then therefore you just create this and again through this mechanistic way of uh, controlling your consciousness um, with uh, propaganda with all sorts of analog ways of going about it here but this you know to what we're talking about here to scaling things down could be a more direct line to that now Something I want to mention here real quick uh, is that the idea that, you know, we're being fed on by another dimension or that this is that we're a resource to something. One of the ways that they talk about this uh, in his higher ascension, all this kind of stuff. And the reason you and I naturally reject something like this is because it goes against natural law. It goes against our desire to propagate our wave to the highest possible state. Now, right. what this possibly could do is anchor you to the lower states, right? It's a way of them ensuring, and I say they, uh, whoever wants to push this stuff, uh, it's a way for them to ensure that we kind of stay in this. It's like tagging us. It's like, oh, okay, and you're stuck here. And, And this is what maybe this ascension process is all about, is waking us up so that we don't get anchored in this. And this reality of transhumanism and smart cities and all of that goes absolutely against what folks like me and you want which is more natural law, which is more natural stuff. Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Nature is a great model for a great way for me to live my life. And so I'm just going to continue that. You guys can have your thing. And this is also where the split is occurring. You know, this 3D, 5D thing that Dolores Cannon talks about. You know, there's just so many examples of what can result if this is rolled out in this way. And some people would choose it. Some people will not. And what's really interesting as well is you're going to lose, you know, or you're going to be, told that it's going to be a disadvantage for you not to get this chip in your head or not to get one of these technologies inserted in you because of the speed at which, you know, thick time is reduced. Well, think about, think about how they're going to
0: do it. They're going to think about how they're going to do it. They're going to say, well, you know, Brandon, come on, you, you tell can you imagine again? There's yeah. that word again. What see it? They flip it both ways. Imagine the chip being put into you, how great it would be. But at the same time, imagine how terrible it would be if, oh, come on, you're going to use your imagination instead of this stuff. Right. You see, it's the... How
1: could you compete with this, ex- uh, uh, you know, exceptional technology that you that processes your mind faster? That you have thoughts that pop into your mind because we've interrupted, we have popped it into the signal that you're already getting naturally. It's just there's a time, you know, there's a. It's this this like idea of instant manifest manifestation is what's so interesting about this. You shouldn't be able to create instantly because if you think of an elephant, then an elephant will just plop on your head. It's right. like there's got to be like a time here for you to kind of figure it out, to rationalize it. And you could think about all the stuff you wish you said to someone, and then you just didn't because you cooled down, or you know where you were spiraling out emotionally. Well, you don't want that to manifest in your physical reality because you're just having a moment you're figuring it out so it's kind of a way of perturbing the experience here in my mind that's just how i look at
0: it i couldn't agree more perturbing the experience exactly well with that said i think we've probably left the audience with on both ends with enough to to ponder (laughs) and think about i think this is maybe even an episode that I, i think i speak on behalf of yourself too we respectfully and humbly encourage all to maybe even watch or listen to a second time over because there's a lot of little things here that uh that that may not that even I didn't pick up until a couple minutes after Brandon brought it up so it's yeah, it's literally
1: he's always blow my mind dude
0: <laughs> absolutely mind. absolutely but if you could tell everyone on uh on my end of where you could be found of course as per usual and uh and then we'll wrap it up
1: absolutely thank you again dude amazing they just keep getting better this is just killer um and so you guys can find me at expandingrealitypodcast.com one stop shop Dave what about you for my audience
0: uh again uh Patreon.com slash Generation Z, and at Podcast Z on Twitter, Generation Z Podcast, no spaces, capitals on Instagram, and of course, type in Generation Z Podcast ZED on YouTube, Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, uh, Apple, Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Podbean, and uh, I'm, I'm basically there as well, too, so thank you so very much.